Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. You know, cravings are interesting things. Do you have cravings? Absolutely. It, maybe I should ask it this way. Is there anyone in the room or online who does not have cravings? Is there anyone who doesn't have to battle or wrestle through cravings? I'm craving this. I just see microphones now. I don't know about you. Okay, we're going to try this again. This, there's something about this series that we're I'm cre- creating these uh, technical difficulties. Yeah, Satan getting in the way. Also, my excitement about the service that I forgot to put the microphones in. You know, they say things like, you know, about live television. You never know what you're going to get, right? We are dealing with live television as we speak. <laughs> all right, so we all have cravings, right? Is there anyone in the room who doesn't have cravings? What are some of the things that you crave? I always tease myself. I want to know, what are some of the things that you crave? Mexican food? Chips and salsa? Yeah, what was that, Bill? Yeah, so queso? What was that? Range time. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I was like, I don't know what that means. I've never eaten that. What else do we crave? Affection. Yeah. I'm thinking really about food. It's okay to go with food this time. Oreos. Yeah, that's one of my big cravings. What was that? Was it one over here? Chocolate. Oh, that's a big one. Missy. Yeah, I, I crave chocolate a lot too. Yeah, these cravings. And you know, one of the things we've done as our families work to get healthier is we found some replacements for some of the things that we crave like I found some uh, sugar-free Oreos which um, are really unsatisfying but but when you when you just need to that cookie crunch with the cream center you know you you go for it on the other hand we found some sugar-free York peppermint patties those are really pretty good 
And even the sugar-free Reese's peanut butter cups are, are pretty good because, you know, dark chocolate isn't all that high in sugar and peanut butter isn't either unless you add stuff into it. So we have found some things that we can replace our uh, things that we tend to crave, but it doesn't always satisfy quite the same way, does it? Now, cravings are universal. Everybody has them. In fact, it's an adaptive trait, if that makes any sense. It's something that we are born with. It's, it's, I will say it's genetic, but the reality is, is that when we are born, really it's ingrained within us before, but when we are born, we crave generally sweet things. And that is so we will eat, so we will feed, or we will nurse, or we will drink, or whatever. We will take the bottle, the nourishment. Our brains tell us to crave these things, and they become really, really pervasive at times when we're going through major growth spurts, when our brains have to tell our bodies that we need more sustenance and more nourishment than our little bellies, you know, generally like the size of a fist or two, are able, comparatively, so an infant's fist, you know, generally that same size, so that we can take in the nourishment that we need. So cravings become an adaptive, actually a human survival response to get us to take in the amount of nourishment that we need in order for us to grow properly. Now, it's kind of interesting that generally speaking, men tend to crave salty and savory foods. Women tend to crave sweet foods. This was revealed in a study done by Cornell University. And it's fascinating to me because I can tell that there are times when I crave sweet things and I crave salty things. And it probably has something to do with my mood. If I'm in a salty mood, maybe I'm going to go for the chips and salsa. If I'm in a sweet mood, it's definitely all the sugar-free candy. So anyway, or regular candy, it doesn't be sugar-free. But we, so we have these adaptive traits that tend to manifest themselves a little bit differently in us based on whether we are male or female. And yes, there is a difference, right? So we have these adaptive traits that deal with our need to receive the craving and the nourishment that we have. Now, there is a difference, right, between hunger and cravings. Our hunger is a physiological in our body response. Usually we feel it when our tummies get rumbly to put Winnie the Pooh, right? When we feel that rumbly in our tumbly, we know that we need to eat. Cravings, on the other hand, do not originate with the body. They originate where? In the brain, right? They originate in the brain. And sometimes it can be a craving that our brain is telling us to go eat certain types of food because we are uh, deficient in uh, a mineral or something. I remember there was a time when uh, Tiffany craved ice. And many of you know that, what that's about, right? You're craving ice because your body is telling your body that you need more iron, right? So you, there are different things that we can do physically that will help us to get the items and the things that we need. But sometimes the cravings are for comfort food or for things that we associate with peace and with uh, safety and warmth and coziness. And so we have all of these different ways that our cravings work. But we can point to the cues when we are beginning to question whether or not we are craving something or we are actually hungry point to the cues. Nutritionists will say, if you feel really hungry, it could be dehydration, so drink a glass of water. If not, then you are free to eat all of the kale and spinach in your pantry, right? <laughs> or not, but stupid, you know, I'm joking, you gotta get the, get the point there. You know, but try to find some things, but I know that there are times when I receive 
a certain kind of text message or a phone call or I have a certain kind of day at work or day with the family or whatever else and my body does not crave kale and spinach. It craves other things. Other things that my brain has associated with feeling better, with releasing certain chemicals in my brain that help me to feel more peaceful and more at rest. But the thing about craving, a real true craving, generally can be satisfied in one to three bites. I learned this uh, lesson painfully when, or maybe joyfully, because both, when Dairy Queen came out with the mini blizzards, right? And, and realized that I could sit there and I could eat an entire large blizzard and, and not feel any more or less hungry or satisfied than I did if I ate one of the minis. And why is that? It's because I didn't need the calories. I needed the comfort. And so I found certain things, and we, we do this at home with the little tiny sugar-free miniature candies, is that we can eat one or two pieces of those, and it will keep us from digging into the ice cream and th those types of things later on in the day. So there's a difference between the way that our brain and our body communicate and coordinate what it is that we need. We have cravings. This leads us into our topic for this week, which is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Before we get into that, I want to remind us how we got here from last week. Last week, we talked about how the meek are the ones who are blessed. And we drew a direct line and we put slash through it that said weakness is not meekness or meekness is not weakness. They are not synonymous, and unfortunately, there are forces at work in our culture and our world that want to try to convince us that being meek means being weak. And we looked at an example of Jesus and Barabbas at the time on Good Friday when the people were looking for, they were craving the strong man, so to speak, who they thought would take up the fight for them. Jesus, as the meek one, surrendered himself, submitted himself in service and love to the world. And so there's a difference between meekness and weakness. And the way that we closed our message last week was we talked about how we need more Jesus in our lives than we need of self. We need to live like Jesus in the world with that meekness that translates into strength when we know our convictions, we know what we believe, we know why we believe it, we know who it is that we follow, who we are called to love. You get the point? And we talked about this in the terms of the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist, not the same John, but John the Baptist sees Jesus on the hillside. And he offers that absolutely, poignantly incredible verse. He must increase, so I must decrease. Part of the problem that we experience in the world is we think that we are the center of it. This is true in our day now. It was true in the time of Jesus. It was true in the time of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. We think that we are the center of the world. And this is brought on by our original sin that says, I am most important, me, myself, and I. And so what we end up doing, sadly and unfortunately, is we put ourselves at the center of creation, pushing God out, and then we worry and we wonder, why is it that the world is not doing what it is that we want it to do? Our capacity is minute. God's is magnificent. And so when we take this and we move it into Jesus' next beatitude, we see our verse for the day 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Think back again to my little nugget about the blizzard from Dairy Queen, one of the nine wonders of the world. You can eat three bites or three blizzards, and one, if you eat a little bit, will give you that satisfaction that you had the sweet, the cold, the texture. You could eat three full-sized blizzards, still get the taste, the texture, but feel horrible after eating that. There is a difference in the satisfaction. And our brain and our body have a real hard time communicating and collaborating with each other to know which is which. And that's one of those things we think about cravings being an adaptive trait to help us when we are infants to make sure that we take in enough nourishment that we need, that that never goes away. And so it is almost as though God puts something within us physiologically that calls us to crave something so that we can look beyond just the craving, but also the cause and the cue to help us to find what it is with some intention and some discernment to know why it is that we are craving the things that we are craving. So again, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This beatitude out of the message version, which we're reading most weeks here, says you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He is food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. So when Jesus issues this beatitude, he is speaking to an audience that is a world apart from us. Just to begin by poking fun at the way that I introduced the topic for today. Talking about cravings like chips and salsa and queso and Oreos and ice cream and blizzards. These, my friends, are quite something for us to crave, right? Do you think that the people in Jesus' time had any idea whatsoever these items would be or what they were? No, in fact, the whole idea about eating in the time of Christ was altogether different from the time that it is now. I have three thoughts of hunger that come back to the time and the context in which Jesus issued this beatitude and how it was that his audience there during the Sermon on the Mount would have heard it, would have received it, and would have responded to it. For example, meal planning is very different. I don't know if you're like us at our, at our home. We try to, to map out our meals for the week, and we try not to eat too much red meat in one you know, span. We'll, we'll incorporate some, uh, some chicken. We'll incorporate some pork, maybe some beans and rice if we want to go meatless. We really don't do a whole lot with fish and seafood because I'm allergic to it. Uh, but we have these, we, we try to come up with our meal planning, and then we always try to cook enough leftovers so that I can bring things and have it here at the church to keep me from going and eating my cravings out in the community. And so we're always thinking about our meal planning. But in the time of Jesus, it would have been radically different. Most people in the time of Christ, if they were lucky, or if they were blessed or wealthy, to use some of our own terminology, got to eat once a day. That was usually best case scenario. 
getting to eat once a day. What do you think the primary food staple was in that time? Yeah, generally grain, maybe some fruit. It would be a blessing for people in that era to get meat or a protein source once a week. Once a week. I eat more than a typical protein serving at every meal, right? Let alone once a week. It's an extraordinary thing to think about how different it would have been if you were sitting there on the hillside as Jesus is issuing the Sermon on the Mount and he's talking to them about being hungry because they knew what hunger was in a way that you and I typically don't. I'm more like that Snickers commercial. I get hangry if I haven't had anything to eat in a couple hours, right? And then it's like Bobcat Goldthwait comes into the office. And it's like, and then Brent says, here, Mark, have a Snickers. And the next thing you know, back to my sweet, charming herself. That never happens. But, you know, you get the point. You get the point. And so Jesus is talking to people about being hungry who themselves were already experiencing the second point of this, a constant, deep gut growling. A constant, deep gut growling. This is their default setting. They're always hungry. They're always looking for their next meal. They're always hoping that there will be a grain or maybe some figs or olives or something along those lines to try to help provide that sustenance they need. Imagine how people there on the hillside when Jesus issued this Sermon on the Mount, this beatitude, would feel if they were to come and look at the display of chips and cookies and crackers and pizza and sodas that we put out just for our youth group on Wednesday night, let alone the stuff that we have in our pantry and in our two refrigerators and our stand-up freezer out in the garage. It's an altogether different world. It's an altogether different experience of life. And so one of the things that was known by the people who were gathered there is that if they could just get a single little nibble or sip of water from a well, a piece of fruit from a tree, a corner of a piece of bread, that they could make it just a little while and a little ways longer until they could get to their next meal. They were looking for a simple, single nibble or sip as a way to try to tell the growling in the gut, and the noise in the head, that I'm okay. I can make it a few more hours or a few more miles, or sadly enough, a few more days. This is the way that people in the time of Christ experienced hunger. They knew they were only going to eat sparingly. They could not necessarily know when their next portion of protein would come. And so they lived with this constant growling in their gut. But as a result of that, they could be satisfied with just a little nibble or a sip that kind of helped them continue on until they could find their next meal. And so Jesus is talking to this audience about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And he probably is pressing or picking some of those physiological cues in our brain that says, I need to eat. I need to get something in my body so that I can 
do away with this growling and maybe feel a little stronger, not so weak, not so tired. And so Jesus was intentionally pressing that proverbial button. Jesus was intentionally getting there to go and think about the things for which they hunger and thirst. And he said, you may be hungry here right now for an apple or a fig or some fish or bread. But I want you to think about your hunger, not from the point of view of filling your belly, but filling your soul. And he says, when you long for God, when you hunger and you thirst for righteousness... You will be satisfied. So Jesus was speaking and picking at that physiological response to get them to think about what is it I am craving? What is it that I want? Why am I here on this hillside hungry with a grumbling, growling tummy when I could be foraging for berries or fruit or whatever? What is it that my soul is craving? What is it that my heart wants? How can I find that satisfaction and then jesus as he's turning the table so to speak making this an upside down right side up moment he's telling the folks i want you to come hungry i want you to come hungry that would be revolutionary because so much of the jewish faith and practice had to do with the things that we do the way that we I hate to even say it in these words, but perform the actions that we take, the steps that we make in order to try to please God. And so the thought might be, in order for me to come to God, I can't come with this yearning, with this growling, with this emptiness in my gut or in my soul or in my mind or in my heart. I've got to come once I've been filled. If we are honest with ourselves, we aren't that much different today. We think that we've got to get ourselves right with God before we can go to God. For those who've been in this world, in this Jesus journey of faith for any length of time, you know there's a dramatic, dramatic difference in the way that we feel we can come to God when we think we've done all the work, when we've accomplished and achieved all the things God wants us to accomplish or achieve. And when we come to the Lord just empty, broken, naked, physically, emotionally, whatever. And we say, God, here I am. I have tried everything else in my own power, in my own purview, with my talents, my gifts, my interests, my abilities. I've tried to do everything I can. And I still find myself empty. Remember, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? It's because we realize we are bankrupt before God. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope so that you know there's only so much you can do, but there's nothing God can't do. And find the strength that comes in turning your life over to the Lord and say, here I am, use me, deploy me, send me, help me to understand. I'm sorry, this is crazy today. (laughs) For those who are watching later or listening to the podcast, is struggling with his microphone. But Jesus is saying, come hungry. It is a mistake to think you've got to clean up your act, clean your room, or clean your plate before you can go to Jesus. Because Jesus is saying, come to me, and together we will take on that process 
those tasks together. That is an upside-down way that we approach living in our life and in our world. We feel like we've got to get right before we get with Jesus. And Jesus is like, that's never going to happen. So come to me. Allow me to impart my righteousness, my holiness, my goodness, my love, my mercy, my justice. Allow me to impart that to you. And that's where we'll find satisfaction. And this reveals a very interesting taste. A revealing taste. Because what happens in the original Greek, and we don't get this in our English translations, I'm about to do my Jesus jig, is there is a verb tense that takes place here. There is a tense in the way that Jesus is speaking and he is promoting this idea about finding satisfaction where he is contradicting, so to speak, what they would know, where maybe if they could just get a single nibble or a single sip or a single taste of an olive or a fig or a cracker or a piece of bread, I'd be satisfied. Jesus changes this, turns it upside down. It says that single sip, that single nibble, that single taste will light up all of the in your brain and in your heart and in your mind and your soul where you will never be able to be satisfied with just a single nibble or sip or taste. In fact, what Jesus ends up saying here is the verb tenses change and the words change is that you will crave all of the bread in the world, not just symbolically, but literally. That when we come to hunger and thirst for God and for righteousness, there's no way a single sip or a single nibble, or a single taste will do. We've got to have the whole thing. And God isn't like some pie that when he starts cutting off a little sliver here, you get a piece, and a sliver here, and you get a piece, and I get a piece, and all of a sudden the pie runs out. No, that's not the way it works with God, with God's nature, which is love. That the more that we have, the more that we give, the more it multiplies. And the more there is available for everybody. This is life and abundance that Jesus will talk about in John chapter 10. This is the life and the love and abundance. This is when it comes to God. A tiny taste will never do. You crave it all. Lord God, I want to know your will. I want to know your word. I want to know your way. And in 20, 25, 30 years from now, you'll look at the same Bible passage, the same stories. And it is as though you are experiencing them for the very first time. Have you ever gone through something like that? Our circumstances in life change. Our abilities to understand the way that God's way works throughout our world changes and it grows with us. It's not that God changes or grows, but our ability to perceive and to understand how God is at work within our world changes. And friends, if we think we are at the center of that and that God is off on some periphery, we've missed the entire point. We've got to put God at the center and realize that even just those little morsels those tiny tastes, those little sips, those are the things that change our lives. This is how we can find meaning behind what Jesus would say in the Gospel of John later. He said, I am the bread of life. And then later, I am living water. Jesus provided that comparison 
said, you can eat from your favorite loaf of even Wonder Bread, right? And you'll have a bite or two. And then within a few minutes or hours, you'll be hungry again. You can drink from your favorite soda can or whatever else you might want to sip on, glass of tea or whatever, but within a matter of minutes or hours, you'll be thirsty again. Jesus is asking a people who knew about physiological hunger to move beyond that, to think about how can I crave righteousness? How can I crave justice and mercy and love and forgiveness? How can I crave this so that it consumes me as I consume. This is the difference. And Jesus talks about that living water. That springs will flow forth from those who seek it and thirst from it. Friends, we talk a lot throughout the series so far about these conduits of grace. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the image that he's giving us. That the more that we crave, the more that we consume, the more that we allow ourselves to be consumed by the love and the grace and the mercy of God. And it's something we can't hold on to ourselves, but we've got to go share it. We've got to go deliver this out into the world and help the world know that the longing in our soul can only be met and found by God. St. Augustine would write that, talking about that God-shaped hole, right? That we are created for God and our hearts are restless until we rest in God. We have that God-shaped hole in our heart. And taking this perspective helps us to deal with the reality that sometimes life is just awful. I had a whole other list of qualifiers that I could use. I'm supposed to with awful, right? I think you know you could fill in that blank with some of your own favorite, perhaps flashy, flowery words. Sometimes life can just absolutely stink. Sometimes we approach the world with that constant grumbling and rumbling in our stomachs. But the message of the Lord says, if you're craving righteousness, you can take a couple nibbles or sips, but there's a whole brand new reality and experience ready just for you. And this is specifically because Jesus is the fulfillment and the totality of righteousness. We are to crave him. We crave him. We consume him. Way then consumes us, and we feel our lives are incomplete unless we are able to live into satisfaction of knowing that God is real. He loves us and has a plan and a purpose for our lives that involves us engaging and using our lives to help share that good news of Jesus. So, my friends, what is it that you crave? It's easy to think of things like candies and chips and cookies and and things like that. But when it comes down to when it comes down to craving the goodness of God, it's like those old late potato chip commercials. I bet you can't eat just one. We can't. It's a constant yearning and craving for that goodness, that mercy, that love of God who seeks to fulfill us, to strengthen us, and then calls us to keep coming back for more so that we can use our lives to help others find and experience the same. So if you need a craving conversion this morning, this is the time and the place and the space for you. I want to invite you to come forward and
maybe do a little business with God here at the front of the altar, pray to him and ask God, help me deal with my cravings to, to figure out what it is that my brain wants, what it is that my body needs, but also to find that in the middle, my heart and my soul, so that I may find that justice, I may find that righteousness, that strength that comes from loving you. Come crave God. Crave God's way. Allow it to open up a whole brand new understanding of reality for you today that will carry you forever. Pray with me, please. Living and loving God, I thank you for today, and I thank you for the gift of this beatitude. Lord, it is so true that we are craving all kinds of things in this world. You created us with that. You created us with that need to, to fill a hole or a void in our lives. Sometimes it's the emptiness in our bellies, and sometimes it's the emptiness in our souls and our hearts. And when we get those confused, we definitely need to come to you and find ways to meet that need, to slake that thirst, to fill that hungry growl. But Lord, when we recognize that the things that we think we crave, the sweet things, the salty things, the savory things, everything in between, we will find ourselves empty again. So help us to find the sweetness that comes from knowing that you love us. Help us to find the savoriness in knowing that you are so complex and so beautiful and so grand that you can touch and meet every single aspect of our deep spiritual yearning. So may we be able to hear your call over the rumbling of our soul and to find in you the satisfaction that we long for and the satisfaction that only you can provide. I pray this in the name of the one who is the bread of life, who is the living water, who is our Savior, our friend, our Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.